And I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs uh, chapter 28. That's where we're going to begin. I uh, just wanted to say briefly that Kathy and I had a great time with our family. The first time our immediate family had been together for a couple of years. Uh, we were at a nephew's wedding in Colorado Springs. It was a great time. And I appreciated Zach uh, and his prayer for Israel and Gaza. And like you, my heart is heavy about all that's going on there. And we need to continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So... Um, we're going to have, we've been in Proverbs for the last six weeks. We're going to have one more week after this week in Proverbs, and then we're going to be going to 1 John and uh, work our way through that, um, that letter. Um, money, wealth, and possessions are um, three words I'm going to use interchangeably here, but are, they're really important topics in the Bible and in the book of Proverbs. Um, there's what I think is a, um, an insightful uh, clip that I saw from the, uh, from the Golden Globe Awards. Uh, Jim Carrey was presenting, and I think he, uh, what he said was very applicable to what we're talking about this morning, wealth and possessions. Uh, he was introduced as the two-time Golden Globe recipient, Jim Carrey. And when he got up, he started mocking that. Uh, and he said, when I dream, I don't just dream about having won two Golden Globes. I dream about someday being the three-time Golden Globe winning actor, Jim Carrey. Because then I would be enough. Then I could stop this terrible search for what I know ultimately will not fulfill me. Because really, no one cares if I've even won one of these awards. You know, there's a lot of truth in that. Um, our flesh is never satisfied. We always want more. We live in a culture that prizes wealth and possessions uh, over just about everything else. And what we can say is that, and this is on your outline, our relationship to money is a struggle for just about everyone. Uh, maybe you remember your family growing up and struggling with money. Maybe things were great for you growing up. Um, but no matter what your background is, we all have challenges related to finances, to wealth, to possessions. And if, especially if you don't have a Christian worldview, um, people often believe there will never be a time when they'll have enough. And what happens here is that our definition of what's enough keeps changing. Uh, because we don't see money from God's perspective. That makes all the difference in the world. The temptation for wealth of, of wealth and possessions is that it takes up a lot of space in our culture and, and therefore in our minds as well. Our culture is consumed by economics. Uh, we, we think of buying something and all of a sudden an ad for it appears on our phone and we think this must be from the Lord. I need to buy this right now. Um, I talked to a guy one time and he said he worked in micro advertising and I said, you mean those ads that pop up on our phone when we don't want them to? And he goes, yeah, exactly. And I said, well, can we turn off our microphone? And he goes, you can, but it doesn't make a difference. The computers are still hearing what you're saying and will still send you the ads. So we can't win. Um, but we think about how much we have, about how much we need, about how much we earn, about how much other people earn so we can make sure we earn more than they do or whatever, and the list goes on. 
And we all have economic questions that, that are part of our, our existence. You know, college students think of how they can pay for college. And college graduates think of how they can pay off their student loan and, and, and if they can ever afford a home to live in, if they can ever uh, afford it, having to have a family and pay for food on the table. And in the midst of all of this, as Christians, we ask how to be a follower of Jesus and live in the freedom that he wants us to live in to not be possessed by the power of things. Jesus came to free us from every bondage, and one of those is the power of our possessions. Author Howard Dayton, you have this quote on your outline, writes this, Jesus talked much about money. 16 of the 38 parables were concerned with how to handle money and possessions. In the Gospels, an amazing one out of 10 verses, 288 in all, deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. And I think it's because God knew how much it would touch our lives. He wanted us to know how to handle money, but even with all those verses, we don't in Scripture have a systematic teaching uh, about how to think as a Christian about money. Um, what we'll see is that God is trying to get our, our heart and, and, and our relationship with wealth and possessions and to have the right perspective about these things. There are a number of different themes we could have chosen that are related to this in the Proverbs, but um, I want to focus our hearts in particular on three. And the first one, first two are ways that we damage our relationship uh, to money, and the, the last one is a redemptive way that we are to relate to money and possessions and things. So the first category I want to focus on from Proverbs is greed in Proverbs 28. Well, someone defined greed like this. Greed is the logical result of the belief that there is no life after death. We grab what we can while we can, however we can, and then we hold on to it tightly. Uh, the heart of the Christian worldview is that what we see will, will not last. That what lasts, that we are eternal beings, that we will last forever. And this time here on earth is a very short time that, that prepares us to live for all eternity. Um, when asked to make a decision based on eternity, I, I think of what Kirk and Yolanda shared with us this morning. And maybe the thought went through, boy, it's so sad. They've given up so much. But from a godly perspective, uh, in light of eternity, they've just prepared themselves even better for eternity. It's a temptation for all of us to focus on the here and now. But, but Paul said, I would much rather go and be with the Lord than to be with you. It's necessary for me to be with you. But I'd much rather go to be with the Lord. And, and in Philippians 3, he, Paul said, I focus hard on this one thing. I look forward to what lies ahead. And so we each need to focus on having an eternal perspective. Proverbs warns us over and over again about the dangers of greed and, and how to become wise with our wealth and possessions. And if we are going to be wise, we need to be aware of the danger of greed. So Proverbs 28, 22 says, greedy people try to get rich quick, but don't realize they're headed for poverty. Greed says, if I can make my assets grow, even if it requires that I cheat or lie or 
bribe, then why not? And, and the way we justify that is to think, well, it's going to benefit my family. It's going to benefit other people. The reality is that if your heart is set on wealth and possessions in a greedy way, it will poison your character. It will weaken your family. Over and over, Proverbs warns us that if we're to become wise with our money, we need to understand, that, be aware of the universal uh, challenge of greed. Um, just a couple of verses after that, in chapter 28 of Proverbs, verse 25, it says, the greedy stir up conflict but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. You know, the more we seek to hold on to our riches, the poorer we become. Uh, Leo Tolstoy, the Russian writer, wrote a story about a successful peasant farmer who wasn't satisfied with his land. He wanted more. And one day somebody came and gave him a very unique offer. They said, for a 1,000 rubles, I will allow you to walk, and anything that you can walk around will be yours to keep forever. You can have it in your family. The only stipulation is that you have to be back at this point where you begin by sundown. And so the next morning, early the next morning, this peasant farmer took off at a fast pace and was walking as far as he could. And, and by noon, he realized he was not as far as he wanted to be. So he quickened his pace and started walking faster. And by the afternoon, he realized that his greed had taken him very far from the starting point. And so he started running uh, as fast as he could, which wasn't very fast, to get back to where he needed, to the finish line, so to speak, before the sun went down. And he's gasping for breath, and he just, his heart is pounding, and he barely crosses the finish line in time. And he's so exhausted, he lays down. He actually starts coughing up blood and then before long dies of a heart attack uh, while he's still on the ground. And his servants come and they build, they, they dig a six feet by three feet grave for their master. And the title of Tolstoy's story is How Much Land Does a Man Need? What a man needs is a six foot by three foot plot to be buried in. That's what a man needs. So I think that's an insightful depiction on the common challenge of greed that we all experience. And so on your outline, you have this, that greed is this intense desire to possess more than we need, which as a result leads to an unhealthy attachment to things. Greed is found all over the world. It's found in the cutest little child. It's found in the biggest, uh, biggest of our institutions. Uh, greed is found in billionaires and it's found in monks who have little to nothing. Somebody actually did a study of monks, and they said even though they have very few possessions, they get overly angry when they lose something, whatever it might be, even a book. Uh, it's greed that tempts us to have this scarcity mentality that says, I, I, I'm never going to have enough. It's always going to be uh, too little for me to have. I need more. But greed is also a symptom of something deeper, uh, of a fear that will somehow be left behind if we don't buy right now this thing that's in front of us. Uh, and so maybe we've placed our worth in, in, in what we have or in the paycheck that we earn. Uh, that's why money has a way of keeping a grip on us. And that's why the invitation to trust Jesus is an invitation to free us from greed, to have a life of, of trust and, and contentment that's free from the lie that having more will somehow make me more 
like Jim Carrey said. So the question for us today is, is, is greed dominating your life? Are you aware of that problem or does it have a grip on your life? As we see greed as something to be resisted, then we will become wise, wiser with our money. Uh, and that will lead to contentment, hopefully. And contentment is this. It's on your outline. Contentment is realizing that God has provided, already provided everything I need for my present happiness. When greed is out of control, it leads to lack of contentment and a lot of other problems. It's like a a bucket that has a leak in it that we're trying to keep filled. And it causes stress and it causes exhaustion and anxiety, even depression and despair. There are other ways to be greedy. Uh, Maybe you're greedy with the way you give love to other people. Maybe Maybe you're greedy in your words. You you have encouraging things you want to say to people, but you don't say them because you're greedy with your words. Uh, Maybe it's being greedy with your time. I want my time for myself. I don't want to focus on serving others. I need time by myself. Proverbs says that we need to be attentive to greed and the dangers of greed. And when you aren't attentive to those, especially when it comes to your finances, it leads to the second unhealthy way to relate to money, and that is debt. That's number two on the outline is debt. In Proverbs 22, verse 7, it says, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. We're made in the image of God, and we're made to be free from the false gods that ruin our lives. Yet so many of us are slaves. Social media isn't always an illusion, But oftentimes we look at at social media, it's not the reality of the way things really are. Uh, People that look like they maybe have nice things maybe also have a ton of debt they're trying to manage. And it's a a tremendous burden to them. Uh, Greed has a price that leads us to financial servitude. The Holy Spirit gives us the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And while it's easy to buy now and pay later, that's the, what the, the world wants us to believe. We're invited by the Holy Spirit to refrain from buying what we don't need and what we can't afford. And so you've got this on your, on your outline. As you're about to make a financial decision, self-control means that you would pause and have the strength to say no. Excessive debt just leads to more stress. And so may the Holy Spirit begin to identify in our hearts ways that fear and greed lead us to make poor decisions, especially about finances. And and may the Lord give us the grace to begin to come out of that. But there is one redemptive, positive way that Proverbs invites us to relate to money. There are more than one, but the one we want to talk about this morning is number three, generosity. Proverbs 11.25 says, The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. But giving generously is not a strategy to get more. That's maybe the way you could take that verse, but that's not the way it's meant. There have been times when I've been generous with maybe words or in other ways or finances or whatever, and God's generous to me. But there have also been times when I've been greedy 
about words or about time or about uh, money. And God still is generous with me. God still pours out uh, his blessings in my life. And so the next thing on your outline, we cannot manipulate the goodness of God. God is good all the time. We give because God has already been good to in, in giving us the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's been good to us in giving us the forgiveness that we have in Christ. And so we don't give to manipulate God, but to reflect what God has already accomplished in our lives. Sometimes I'll get a question from someone about how to begin giving as a way of being generous. And biblically, 10% is the, the tithe is a good place to begin or to strive for. What is tithing? The tithe is the first item in a Christian's monthly budget or weekly budget. It's 10% of our gross income. Someone said, should I tithe for my net or my gross? And I, I think a good response is, do you want a net blessing or a gross blessing? <laughs> and that first money goes to the cause of Christ. How could it be otherwise? Something that, that comes first in our budgets, and, and it should come first in our budgets. Do we really want to say, Lord, I'll fit you in if I can at the end? No, that's not what we want to say. And so we write out our budget on a piece of paper, on our computer, or on an app on our phone. But we put the Lord first in everything we do, in, in it, including our finances. And this is basic obedience. It's, it's simple. It's, we just do the math, so to speak. And I've had people say to me that giving 10%, even though both uh, of the spouses are working, is hard to do. It'll, it'll squeeze their family. And so my response is begin with 2% or 3%. But continue to make it grow. Continue to pray and say, Lord, give me the grace to make this, to give more, to, to make this grow, to make this work. And, and, and that will happen. The Pharisees were very careful to tithe all of their income, even the herbs that they grew in their backyard gardens. And Jesus did not tell them they were taking it too far by tithing even their herbs. And, but he said that, don't forget the weightier measures of the law. Don't forget the things that are the most important. So in Matthew 23, verse 23, you have the reference on your outline. Jesus says to the Pharisees, you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice and mercy and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So Jesus doesn't command the tithe here, but he does commend it. He's scolding the Pharisees here for not being willing to go beyond the tithe when there are genuine needs that they see around them and to show forth justice and mercy and faith. We have so much more than they did in the first century. <clears throat> how, can we not, how can we be expected to be less generous with our finances, with our possessions? So let's not think of a tithe as some heroic high-level commitment. Tithing is entry-level obedience, if you will. And then we go from there. So the question to begin with is maybe, are you tithing? And if you're not, are you working towards that? But, but wisdom takes us even further. Wisdom makes us sacrificial, like Jesus. 
the kind of obedience is, is, is more that he's talking about is more than just being dutifully mathematical and, and tallying up the 10%. It, it, it's pursuing the weightier matters of the law with wholehearted devotion. And so where do we start? Well, we, we start with, with, with Proverbs 3. In fact, I invite you to turn to Proverbs chapter 3. We all know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek in his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. But we need to keep reading. The next verse, verse seven says, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Verse nine, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. So the tithe is seen as a, as a minimum rule of thumb for Christians who want to give in gospel proportions in the church. You know, there's only one prayer in the book of Proverbs. It's in Proverbs chapter 30. If you want to turn there, it's the last place I'll have you turn. Proverbs chapter 30. <clears throat> and here's the prayer, <clears throat> starting in verse 7. Oh God, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, Help me never to tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. In other words, it's saying, Lord, help me to live in constant dependence on you. Help me to do as much good with my money and with my life as I can do. And it's almost counterintuitive, but this is wisdom. In a society where possessions are seen primarily as a way of personal advancement, to, to, seek our, to use our wealth as tools to serve others. That's what he's talking about. And this brings us back to verse 9 of Proverbs. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. And it's referring to the tithe. It's the way we express our trust in the Lord, like in verses five and six. And what Solomon is saying is that's how we can show our gratitude and our trust to God. In other words, giving generosity is a simple test of faith. And I've said this before, but this is one of the most, you are the most, one of the most generous groups of people I know. I, I, I see examples of this all the time, and so I hope these words are words of encouragement to you and, and, and words of challenge at the same time. And, and to not do this, is, God says, is robbing him. We don't have the reference on the outline, but it's Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, that says, will a man rob or defraud God? Yet you rob and defraud me, he says through the prophet Malachi. But you say, in what way do we rob or defraud you? And God answers, you have withheld your tithes and offerings. So he wants us to be generous people and not give God the leftovers. So let me just leave you with three words to keep in mind as, we, as you pray about this over this next week. The first word on your outline is the word confession. We need to confess before God the damaging way that we've related to money. And until we do that, it'll be hard for our soul's to flourish. And so we, we need to confess the often dysfunctional way that we've related to money. But beyond confession, we're invited by the Holy Spirit to live a life of contentment. That's the next word, contentment. 
And again, contentment is living free from the lie that I need more. And if I need more, I'll be more. It's not true. And then finally, the word cultivate. Cultivate a spirit of humility that will make you wise before God, wise with the generosity that you live your lives, with your words, with your time, with your love, and with your possessions. And I want to end by what Jesus says uh, in the Bible about, about money. Jesus does not see money as something neutral. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve uh, God and be enslaved to money. Why does Jesus speak like this? Because money is a rival God that demands your entire life. Money promises falsely that if you have more of it, you won't have any worries. That's not the truth. And this is interesting because right after this, Jesus says in Matthew 6, verses 31 and 32, so don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. In other words, these things Jesus is saying should not dominate your thoughts as followers of Jesus. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Jesus is saying, money doesn't love you, but I love you. Give yourself to me, and I will provide for you. And so he ends that passage in verse 33 by saying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. And so do you know the contentment of God in your life? Do you know that your heavenly father loves you and will provide all of your needs for you? Or is your life consumed by anxiety centered around money? And we can't do this apart from the Lord. There's nothing that we can do apart from him. And the very best incentive of all to give and live a life of generosity comes from what the way the, the apostle Paul describes Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it's on your outline. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor so that by his poverty, he could make you rich. And so on your outline, we, we can live a life of generosity because God has been so generous with us. You know, prior to commencement a few years ago at Azusa Pacific University, the president, Dr. Wallace, called together a small group of, of about 50 people for a special gathering. It included some faculty. It included some graduates from the class 50 years prior and some special guests and then three graduating seniors who had decided to give the, their, the next two years of their lives to serving the poorest of the poor in India. And uh, these students each stood up and talked about what they were going to do and it was supposed to be kind of a commissioning service for them and uh, to send them off with a blessing and a prayer. And, uh, but something happened that only the school's president was aware of. He looked at the students and he said, I have a piece of news for you. There's somebody that you do not know, an anonymous donor who is so moved by what you're doing that he made a, a gift to the university in your name on your behalf. And he turned to the first student and he said, you are forgiven 
all of your student debt of $105,000. The student burst out in tears. He turned to the next student and he said, you're forgiven all of your student debt of $70,000. And he turned to the last student and he said, you're forgiven your student debt of $130,000. It's all been paid for. All these students had no idea this was coming. They were just ambushed by grace. Blown away that somebody they didn't even know would pay their debt. And the whole room was in tears. But that doesn't even compare to what Jesus has done for us. You're familiar with the generosity of our master. Jesus, what he did, rich as he was, he gave it all away for you. In one stroke, he became poor so that you could become rich. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, please will you help us escape this world's gravitational pull of greed and debt that comes in so many forms and leads to so much conflict. Father, please fire up the boosters of our life so that we can make and do deliberate acts of of generosity towards others with our love, with our words, with our time, and with our finances. Father, I thank you for this church so filled with generous people. I hope everyone has been encouraged by this and challenged by it, but Lord, I know that there are some of us here that maybe don't know you, and we want to know you because where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. And so, Father, help us in our minds to reorient and reframe our thinking so that we worship you every day with all of our heart. And if, Lord, you've used your word to draw somebody to yourself this morning, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, may they respond to your grace right now by faith. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, remember what Christ taught and let his words enrich your lives and make you wise. Teach them to each other. Sing them out in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, which we've been doing. Singing to the Lord with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, let it be as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God our Father. Amen.